Like, I want to win races. I want to, you know, compete in the Olympics again. I, I want to be able to see myself as a major player in this sport. But it really is just like, I want my body to be able to do what I feel like it's capable of doing. That's what excites me most is just, you know, maybe that'll be a day, one race. Maybe it'll be a couple, a year. But it's just if I could get back to, you know, the one race where you feel like yourself or you feel like the work that you're doing accumulates to a version of yourself that you believe in, then I'd be pretty pleased. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and you are listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Every week on this show, I try to glean unique insights and uncommon inspiration from a wide range of personalities in an effort to help you see what's possible through the lens of running. This week, I spoke with Olympian Mariel Hall, who represented the U.S. in the 10,000 meters at the Rio Games in 2016. She's also a four-time world championship qualifier. She finished eighth in the 10,000 at the 2019 World Championships in Doha and won a national 15K title on the roads in 2020. This episode came to be a few weeks after I was introduced to Marielle last month in Mammoth Lakes, California, where she's been training at altitude in preparation for her half marathon debut later this fall. In this conversation, Marielle and I talked about how she's using this training camp as an opportunity to recenter herself and set the tone for the year ahead. She told me about traps that she's gotten stuck in over the years and how she's trying to maintain focus and keep the main thing the main thing. We discussed how she's feeling now versus a year ago when she left the Bowerman Track Club and when she knew it was time to change her training environment. Marielle talked to me about moving up in distance over the years and the differences between racing on the track and on the roads, how she sees herself now that she's out of the hole of injury and uncertainty, and what she thinks she's capable of when she's healthy and firing on all cylinders, the ways in which her relationship to running has evolved over the years and what she hopes it looks like moving forward, and so, so much more. Before we get into it, I'd like to thank the Monterey Bay Half Marathon for supporting the show this week. I am stoked that this race is back. Registration is now open for the Monterey Bay Half Marathon, which is a fast and scenic out-and-back course beginning in historic downtown Monterey, running along Steinbeck's Cannery Row, and next to the beautiful Pacific Grove shoreline. Your entry fee includes a 100% recycled participant shirt and a -a one-of-a-kind handmade ceramic medal. The race takes place on November 13th, and if you're looking for a fall race with a high potential for a PR, this is your course. In addition to the Sunday race, there's also two Saturday races, the Pacific Grove Lighthouse 5K and the By the Bay 3K. Runners who want to run Saturday's 5K and Sunday's Half Marathon can opt for the Ocean View Challenge and receive three medals and two shirts for all of your efforts. Sign up to run this coast on November 13th, 2022 at MontereyBayHalfMarathon.org and use the code MARIO, that's M-A-R-I-O, all caps, at checkout to save $10 on your registration for the Half Marathon or the Ocean View Challenge. 
This episode is also brought to you by Gooder, my favorite sunglasses for running, driving, walking the dog, and pretty much everything else that I do outside. Not only do they look good, they won't bounce, they won't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. Best of all, they are super fun. I'm personally a big fan of the OGs, and my favorite colors are a Ginger Soul and Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. Gooders are also super affordable, with most pairs coming in at just $25 to $35 bucks a piece. So if you'd like to support me in the podcast, treat yourself to a pair or two or five of Gooders, and head over to gooder.com slash Mario, and use the code Mario15 to get free shipping on your entire order. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash Mario, and use the code Mario15 to get free shipping on your entire order. And remember, your face will thank you. Okay, that's it for the introduction. Please enjoy my awesome conversation with Olympian Marielle Hall. All right, Marielle Hall, we met by chance in Mammoth Lakes, California a few weeks ago. Shout out to James Cassidy for introducing us, and I am thrilled to welcome you to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, and I'm excited that I got to meet you in person before before our virtual chat. Um, the Trail Fest was uh, a really cool experience, and I feel like that was kind of my nightly activity for a while, was getting to hear <laughs> <laughs> everyone speak at the... Um, I don't know what what would you would call the I guess panels the nightly panels. Um, yeah. It was only a couple of blocks away from where he's staying, so it was very yeah. enjoyable. Just to set the stage here, I was in Mammoth Lakes at Tim Tollefson's inaugural Mammoth Trail Fest. You are in Mammoth Lakes, I believe you're still there as of this conversation for an <laughs> altitude training stint in. Uh, as you just mentioned, where you're staying was very close to the village where a lot of the events were held and you wandered in there a couple of nights and took it on, which I thought was super cool. Uh, I was like, holy shit, that's Mariel Hall, Olympian at a trail, an ultra running event. Not two things that I would have put together, but I love that you were there. And I guess that's a good place to start. What were your reflections of that world? Because it's not one that you are involved in on a day-to-day basis. Is it one that you were aware of or had any interest in? Yeah, I, I feel like I don't I still am very novice in my knowledge base of, of what the event entails, what the training entails, you know, how people mm-hmm. get started in that discipline. But I, I I heard, I think I heard about it on the radio advertised and I think I'm just naturally a curious person. So I wanted to check it out and see what, um, see what it was all about. And I, it's vastly different, I think, from, um, from the track world, vastly different from marathon world, um, which I guess is kind of some of the allure and draw. It brings very different people into, into the space. And I felt like I learned a lot about, um, like athletically the discipline. I thought differently about kind of like the spaces that you train, train in, um, just, I think the, the trail space or ultra marathoning has a bit more, of um, like an environmental contingent to it, which I think it's mm-hmm. always cool when sports connect to to those different, um, just to maybe more uh, what's what's happening, I guess, outside of sport. When when sport can kind of tr- cross over, I think that's always a, p- a special place. Um, 
so yeah, honestly, just very impressed uh, with cover how how people are able to cover the distance um, just in length. Um, the marathon is still you know a number that's pretty intimidating to me. So to see people get excited about going further than that is is pretty. I think you're just curious about how those people work. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm with you on all of that. My background is similar to yours and where I ran cross country and track as a kid and through high school and college and even beyond. It wasn't until 2014 that I was exposed to this trail and ultra marathon world. And it's a completely different world and just a different mindset. I've told this story before, but within a few months of moving to the Bay Area where I live now, where I was first exposed to this stuff, I was out on a training run with some guys and they convinced me to run my first 50K. And I'd run a bunch of marathons before that. And I was very intimidated about the additional 8K moving up to 50K. And their mindset was, oh, no, no, this is speed work for summer hundreds. And I'm like, well, that's a completely different mentality. Uh, that just sounds totally crazy to me. Um, but I do think it is a, a nice like complement to the world that we know, cross country track, road racing, that sort of thing. Like you said, um, many aspects of it extend beyond just the race and the event. There's an environmental component, more of a kind of community component, which is is really cool. And I'd love to see like the two worlds just continue to learn from each other and feed off of each other because I think they can make each other better in that way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think like a few of the people that I'm staying with the mammoth will laugh, but you interviewed um, Adam Campbell, I think maybe the first night. And that was a story yes. that just kind of like I was repeating over and over to on every run to every person. Um, and yeah, those are that's a story like as a part of, I guess you could say the track or the road world that I never heard of. But I think just... Um, who he is as a person, all the things that he's gone through, what he stands for is is similar or, or, you know, like you said, both communities could learn, could learn a lot from. So, you know, I was really grateful to hear that story and just, um, just expand on, you know, what I feel. You feel like you've been running forever, so you know everything, but it turns out there's always kind of more, more to explore. Last question on this before we move on to you and where you're at right now. But having been at that event and exposed to it on the level that you were, I mean, you've got plenty of unfinished business on the track and on the roads, which we'll talk about. But do you think someday that would be something you'd like to check out, even if not from a competitive standpoint, but just could I go that far? What would it be like to run up that mountain and, and go back? Or are you like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good with the roads and staying at lower right. elevations? I think I would, I definitely would be curious if like within me was, it seems like most of the people that were there or the people that I heard talking had this really um, kind of almost like spiritual connection with, with running and with the spaces that they traveled through and just like this immense respect for like the land that they were on and what their bodies could do. And it's just, I don't know that I, I think of training that in that way. I think it's much more regimented, much more um, like time focused, distance focused. So I would be interested if like I had that within me to, to, you know, have that type of connection with the work that I was doing, but it still definitely feels very foreign. And right now it's just like, I'm a supporter of people who are, are willing to test those limits and find those connections, but it definitely still feels, I'm like, 
I try and go and run on the trails and like feel that. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not quite there. <laughs> um, so I, I'd have some work to do in order to, I think, make the type of connection that I hear a lot of people that are in that space make. Um, but it feels like a, a future cool challenge and like something that I hope is within me, but I don't see it <laughs> at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Mariel Hall does end up on the trails, remember you heard it here first on the yes. Morning Shake podcast. <laughs> it was the Mammoth Trail Fest that uh, scratched that itch for her and she explored it further. But um, it was cool that you were there. I love seeing you there. Um, just that you were open to exploring, even just on an observational level, a different part of running than what you are used to. And, you know, it's kind of my hope through this podcast and people listening to it and just the variety of guests that I have on that others do the same thing in, in their own way. Even if, you know, they're a trail runner and they don't know much about track and road racing that they they look at that maybe as an avenue for themselves or maybe just understand the athletes better who are doing it and what it means for them and, and vice versa or people who don't race at all and are using running as a way to, you know, advocate for change within the industry or within the sport and realize it doesn't have to be just what it is to you, you know, like, I mean, being a, a competitive cross country and track athlete for a majority of your career, as I was, you kind of think about running in a very um, narrow way. And you realize when you're around just different aspects of it that it's it's so much more than that. Maybe it'll never be that to you, but I think it just kind of helps strengthen the overall community as a whole. Yeah, no, for sure. I think anytime we can expand on this already very, what feels like a very simplistic act, being able to expand on that, I think is exciting. Um, so yeah, again, it was really cool. And I, it's, it, that it was its first iteration of it is like okay can set a tradition for myself to try and make it back there you go um, in years to come so yeah we're having this conversation approaching mid-october you are still in mammoth lakes as we're speaking now in the midst of your altitude training camp how long have you been there and when do you anticipate leaving um i'll be at altitude for i guess a total of like five and a half almost six weeks so um, just really kind of wanting to start the year, um, like a base building time with the change of scenery. It's already running can be very monotonous. So I think sometimes mm -hmm. outside of the boost that you can get from from training at how high altitude, it's kind of nice to switch up your community a little bit, switch up the terrain. Um, the running here is really challenging in general. So I think that that kind of a lot like refocuses the mind a bit where I think at home I know every turn I know where like what every hill feels like I don't even have to be in the run really because I've it's just kind of habitual at, at that point so I, I feel like sometimes it's nice to change um, change the scenery uh, so yeah that's kind of really was the main goal is really work on building back a strong base and and just kind of get in some different running that challenges you kind of both mentally and physically. Yeah. Talk to me about where you're at right now. You raced a bit on the roads this past summer. Mm -hmm. You are prepping. I hope we can talk about it for your half marathon debut later this fall. Like, how are you feeling in the mountains and away from home, putting in that base? And like you said, just kind of like recentering and refocusing for what's ahead. 
Good. I, I, I'm feeling good about it. I think a lot of it for me is kind of reestablishing a routine that I, you know, I'm hoping to carry with me throughout the year. So kind of ingraining those good habits, thinking about what I'm trying to accomplish, you know, for this race coming up in November, but as a whole, what you want, what, how I want to finish the last quarter of this year and what momentum I want to bring into the new year. Um, so I feel like this kind of helps this setting kind of helps with that. And yeah, it's really, I think it's just kind of setting, set the tone. That's how I view it. At least it's not really about specific workouts or mileage. It's kind of just, you know, how I want to see what habits and, you know, how I want to show up for each day, how I, how I, what I want to establish early on in the year. Um, so that I, you know, hopefully no matter what the results are, you feel proud about kind of the process that you, uh, establish for yourself. Mm -hmm. This annual process that you describe where you're laying a fitness foundation, but you're also recentering and setting the tone for the year ahead. Is this something that you've done the last several years, or is it something that you haven't done in the past, but realized that you needed to do in order to get where you wanted to go? I think I've always done it or the years that I feel, and that doesn't mean that they've, you know, I've had perfect races throughout the year, but the years that I look back on and that I'm most proud of, there's always been either some like intentional, unintentional grounding early on that I really, I do think, um, you know, there's not a lot of pivot room within a season. It kind of feel like once things happen, it feels like they're just kind of go, go, go. Mm -hmm. So it really is, I think, like the attitude that you bring, the work ethic, all that happens earlier on. And then it just kind of, it just becomes, it's just a habit. It sticks with you. You don't really have to think too much about it. And that's kind of the mental, physical energy that you save that you can use for competing when you don't have to think about your process so much or question what your goals are, you know, what you want to get out of the experience. Um, setting that early on, I think just helps me. I'm definitely someone who has fallen into overthinking traps and has, you know, been distracted by whatever goal, you know, goals that may not really fit with where I am in the year, um, or what I, what I need to get out of the year. So, I know myself and I know kind of the traps that I fall into. So this is just something I think that works well for me. Let's dig into some of those traps, at least to the degree <laughs> that you're comfortable with. Yeah. What have you struggled with in the past that you need to keep an eye out for moving forward? Uh, I think maybe like going back to earlier on, just the curiosity bit, I think I can, I can rabbit hole really easily on, you know, such a small detail of training, which I think can be a positive attribute. If you know, you're somebody that's like, oh, I'm, you know, I really want to work on, you know, my breathing or just this one small aspect of the bigger picture that can be positive, but it also can distract you from the main thing. Um, I think that's something that's, I feel like my parents tell me a lot. It's like, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing. So it's just, you know, not that those are just some of the things that I, I feel like I struggle with is I can fixate on an aspect of training. Um, maybe that's like the long run one year, or maybe it's the gym. Um, you know, maybe I'm really into 
um, like my foot mechanics or just something very small that's like important to the big picture. But if you get distracted by it, it can really deteriorate from your confidence and um, just all the other work that you put in. So I think that's something, again, going back to just establishing, okay, what am I focusing on this year? I'm not going to be able to have everything get everything perfectly. It's going to be like, how can I attack one aspect of this, you know, 10 year plan or whatever it may be that accumulate, how training accumulates, um, and, you know, work on the next part, the next year and the next part, the next year, and just stay focused in that one, Mm -hmm. one, two or three top tier goals, and then kind of build on that throughout your career. Is, that overthinking and going down rabbit holes about specific detail, something that started for you when you became a professional or has it always been there to some degree as long as you've been an athlete? <laughs> yes, I think it's just, I'm definitely, a, you know, can, I think it's just neurotic tendencies. I, um, we I'll, all have them. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have them. Not, not ashamed of them, but I was definitely that person growing up that, you know, I color outside the lines, it's ruined. I got to throw it all away. Like that's who, who I was. Um, I think it's the fact that I can recognize, okay, I'm going crazy. I'm not crazy, but you know, I'm spiraling right now. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a big step. Um, that's a part of the growth. Um, so I think it's, it is a personality trait. That's just how I am, but you know, working towards not just being fixated in this is how I am, so I can't get better or I can't change. Um, just realizing that, you know, there are positives to being the way that being a detail oriented person or caring about small things. But, um, you know, sometimes you do miss the bigger picture when you're just so insular. Mm -hmm. So, all of that being said, what is the tone that you want to set for? the next year? A lot of things, but uh, I think one of them is not the overthinking piece is, you know, if I is just, you know, deciding on a goal, for example, November, I'm going to do the half marathon, deciding on that and following through, you know, with the training my coach has for me and, you know, just also getting to, to the start line and, you know, not questioning if it's too early or too late that's one of the parts about being a professional runner is, you know, you create your schedule. So if you don't feel like you're in quotations, you know, fit enough, ready enough, you don't have to be there. Um, but I think that's one of the things that I'm trying to establish for myself is creating a structure. So it's just like, I do put a little bit of pressure on myself to, you know, show up on the day. And um, that's, I think a big part of athletics, particularly professionally is, you know, are the deadlines. You know, if we could all train forever if and wait for, you know, perfect fitness every time, that's, you know, that's not a sport for me or how I want to experience it. So, um, yeah, I think a big part of goals this year is, you know, just not being fearful of those deadlines and of those hard stops of, okay, what can you do today? Not, you know, your perfect self on the best day, Hopefully those days come as well, but really just narrowing in on, you know, I've set this day for myself. What can I do um, right now? And I can always build on that. And I can always ask more for myself. But I think, 
you know, you have some bad races, you have some setbacks with injuries, you become a little bit fearful of those deadlines. And that's just not the competitor that I want to be. So I think really going into this year, creating, um, yeah, just creating those hard um, deadlines for myself, I think will be important. So with this deadline of a half marathon yes. coming up in November, new territory for you. I think the longest that you've raced this point is 15K on yep. the road. So jumping up, call it four miles, just shy of four miles. How are you feeling about that? And I guess before I even ask that, like what's what's driving it? You just mentioned curiosity is a character trait of yours. You're a curious person. Is it that? Is it something else? Take me through it. Yeah, I think it's it's like it's a mixture of curiosity and a mixture of I know that I I definitely am fearful of beyond, you know, the 10K, the 15K, these events that really ask more faith than fitness, I feel like. <laughs> it's kind of more of you can do everything right, but who knows what happens to your body after X amount of miles with said weather conditions and fueling and all these different things. So I know a big part of, you know, these longer distances is I am definitely scared of them and fearful and I don't like the unknown aspect. But um, I think like a competitive character trait is I don't want fear to dictate how I operate. So I guess that's really it. <laughs> Curiosity and, you know, I don't want to ha have fear be how I approach my competitive career or just like my life in general. It's super interesting to hear you describe that. And I'm going to bring this back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation with your observations of just trail and ultra running. Earlier today, I was listening to a podcast with a guy named Francois Dehaene, and he is one of the top mountain runners in the world. He's won the UTMB, I think, four times and all these other mm -hmm. prestigious races and, you know, has fastest known times for like these crazy long trails, like the 210 mile John Muir trail he's got the record for. And he was talking about exactly this as it relates to ultra running. And as you said, beyond 10K, it's more faith than fitness. And he was talking about that in the context of 100 mile races. And he's like, well, he's like, you know, it's, it's about like how good of a runner you are up until 14 hours. And then beyond that, he's like, it's, it's something else. And he's like, and then when you get right. to 20 hours, he's like, it's something else altogether. And it's just interesting. I mean, taking these uh, two sports, which are very loosely related, but everyone's got their kind of, you know, cut off. And it's probably very individual as well. For some people that might be 5k for others, it might be beyond the, the half marathon where you just don't know. And there is that that fear and it can be a healthy fear and you're just not sure like what that last four miles are going to feel like, but you're committed to doing it and seeing, and who knows what that might unlock. You might love it and be like, this is great. Let's keep on moving up. Or you might be like, no, nah, I'm going to stick with 10K. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, both reactions are, are scary, you know, to be addicted to that type of discomfort is scary. And to also get to it mate perhaps, and just feel like, you know, you don't have it. <laughs> both are, both are scary. But again, that's kind of the point, I guess. So don't want those feelings to, to dictate the experience. Mm -hmm. 
Over the last couple of years, you have done a little bit more road racing than you did earlier in your career. You won national title at 15K. You raced really well at Falmouth this past summer, which is seven miles, so just beyond 10K. And now you're moving up to the half marathon. How is racing on the roads for you versus racing on the track, where the track, especially at your level, there is very much a a time focus. Yes, you've got to be top three to make a team, but you got to hit the standard first and that's always there versus the roads where you could chase a course record, but it's less important than getting on the podium or trying to win. So I'd love to just hear you talk a little bit about the differences between the two and how you felt about road racing after primarily being uh, focused on the track for so long. Right. Uh, I... I feel like sometimes I, my my experiences have varied. So sometimes I, I feel like the roads can be a bit more more freeing in terms of you can get a little bit more uh, like it. If you're with a pack, you can kind of absorb that energy. If you're alone, it really just becomes about like, okay, how can I get myself to the finish line? Mm-hmm. Or sometimes on the track that feels magnified, and you're not really thinking about you know, getting the most out of yourself. It's just kind of feels like this disappointment. You're, you know, you're stuck on an oval passing people <laughs> over and over again um, when you're, when you're having a bad day. And I think that it really becomes very, you just go very insular, becomes very about just kind of can be a bit of a pity party on the track. If you're not having a great day um, on the roads, I think it's been, you know, I, I think I definitely built momentum throughout the summer on the road. So I had some early experiences where, you know, I wasn't having a great day, but I still kind of felt proud about the race because I was able to like refocus, which I think was is a little bit easier on the roads. Um, but they're just, they're just so different. The roads are, I think it's a little bit harder to get into a rhythm for me personally, just used to the track, which kind of feels very, um, like orchestrated, it feels very compact, very um, just, I, and I also, I've competed there more. So I know that experience right. on, and the roads that yet yeah, still kind of feels like, you know, you can't really isolate if you're having a good or bad day. It's just a new experience. Um, but yeah, both are, both are very unique and different. Um, I, I think the roads, you do really learn um, more about reading yourself just, just because I think the nature of how the, how the race can go, I think lends more into you needing to be able to like read yourself a little bit better where I, I feel like on the track, I've always kind of fed more off of other people. And it's like, I never was somebody that kind of like, go to the front and hammer. I definitely like felt like I was always more like an observational competitor where it's like feel how the race is going and then like kind of pick my place to move based on others. And I felt like the roads have been a little bit more of like having to really, even if things are happening around you that you want to respond to, it kind of feels more about like you responding to yourself, Mm -hmm. I guess. At this point, of your career, you're 30 years old. Do you still think you'll focus on the track when it's that time of year, but do a little bit more road racing in the, let's call it off season from 
the track, whereas you didn't exactly do that as much in the past. Right. I think, I mean, the way that this is not a tested theory, but it just kind of feels like the way that people are competing and the way that people are racing, it doesn't feel so far off of track speed and and like 10K race pace. It doesn't feel dramatically that different. So I feel like having that like cadence and having that rhythm in your legs from the track will be helpful for the roads and for longer longer events. So it's like, I'm hoping to be able to blend the two. Um, I also think just coming from the track, just the way that you're used to your body moving, being able to like get back to that as like your plan A of how you're moving and being able to use that on the roads versus kind of like changing um, or like kind of letting the miles accumulate and change how you move. Um, So I, I feel like I'm hoping both contribute to one another. I think Obviously, at at a certain point, you kind of have to be able to commit to something to to see to see your best. But for right now, it, it feels like to me just observing that you know how fast people are competing. I would still need to be able to be pretty um, or like close to my best on the track to be able to get the best out of myself yeah. um, on the roads. Have you always been an observer? You just mentioned how you race that way on the track (laughs) and you're doing this even off the track, just watching kind of what's happening uh, in the sport, how different people are moving back and forth and sort of navigating it for themselves. Has that always been a part of your personality as far as you can remember? I think so. I, yeah, I I think so. Um, I mean, I think it's just... You know, I'm, I have an older sister, so I think being a younger sibling, that's by nature, you, you kind of want to be your, your older sister, your older, your, you know, you're mimicking what they're doing, trying to um, get, convince them to hang out with you more, which that by way of doing that, it's like being more like them. <laughs> um, so I think so. I don't know. I don't know um, if it's always been that way from, but from what I can remember, I think I've enjoyed learning from different aspects of this sport and just anything really in general and trying to like bring it back to what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, having followed your career and and watched your race, one thing I've always appreciated about you as a racer in my observation anyway, is you always seem so calculated. Um, You're kind of paying attention to what's going on. And when you, when you make a move, at least from the outside looking in, it feels like, okay, she's, she's kind of thought about this, seen how things have played out and decided now is the right time to strike. Or as some other people might be a bit more impulsive or emotional and sort of mm-hmm. go off of, of that. So hearing you describe that, I'm like, oh, well, from what I've observed over the years of, of watching you, this makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that that for sure. I think sometimes you want to be more emotional about it or more impulsive or more like just based on feeling. So I think like that's something that I definitely, um, you want pieces of that in your experience as well, just cause I think that that's a little bit more freeing not to just feel so calculated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I also, again, just kind of recognize what, who I am and yep. that's a part of it. So, yeah. <laughs> Let's look back a bit. It was a little over a year ago that you left the Bowerman Track Club and moved east to train in Providence under Kurt Benninger, who is Molly Huddle's husband. 
How are you feeling now, fall of 2022 versus this point a year ago? Good. I, I mean, I, I feel really excited for the the upcoming year. I felt like transition-wise was tough, uh, and, I, and I don't know that that was a fair marker on either of us, like Kurt as a coach, me as an athlete, mm-hmm. just because I, I came in um, like dealing with some injury setbacks, you know, dealing with the cross-country move and just kind of, you know, coming off of a tough um, Olympic trials, which, you know, was the foundation for why I moved, felt like I moved uh, to the West Coast was to work through an Olympic cycle and, you know, hopefully the pinnacle be that fourth um, pandemic fifth year um, of that of that cycle. So it was just emotionally really tough. And but I mean, Kurt and Molly and just like the community of Providence has been an incredible support and Molly coming back. I'm, you know, I'm really excited about that momentum. Um, Emily spent the, you know, the summer in Providence, which was fun to see, you know, see her in the early stages of her build and, you know, just kind of the momentum and excitement it brings with, with more bodies out training, you know, trying to accomplish the different things that they're after. Um, so yeah, I feel really in a better place, um, this year than I was last year. And I'm kind of like excited to, to see what we can accomplish, you know, going forward. Um, so yeah. You mentioned the disappointing Olympic trials last year and just being injured coming out of that. When did you know that it was time for a change? Hmm. Probably earlier than I made the change. Cause that's always how it goes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if you could act on your probably initial instincts, we'd all be further along than we are. But, um, I think I just, again, it, you know, it has nothing to do with the structure of that team and, you know, what the coaching staff and the athletes are capable of there, like results speak for themselves. It's just, you know, I felt a bit, um, like I was having a hard time, uh, like communicating my, my experience or communicating my response to the training and just like not feeling like things were clicking. And, you know, I always like to say like describing training as being like really transformative if you're in the, in the right environment for you, where it's like you, you know, time-wise you can see the change, but also within yourself, it's like, okay, I can feel myself changing and becoming a different athlete. And, you know, I can observe that and see that with my, people around me. And I just like, wasn't feeling like that was working, um, as well for me. So yeah, I think that's just, you know, you never know what will be the right solution or the recipe for your training. But uh, I felt like, okay, I'm not really getting that transformative feeling that I would like. Um, so let me just try and see if I can do that somewhere else. How did you go about settling on Kurt and Providence as your next stop? Um, so I, I don't, honestly, I don't remember how I, like what my pro like elimination process was, mm-hmm. but I known Kurt through Molly for, for, for a pretty long time. Um, we have the same agent, so it's like, I've seen him around. I know, um, my agent also really speaks highly of him, like in conversation and just, um, I had heard about him, um, working with 
with some athletes like through I think like rough patches and like being able to get them out of that and I kind of felt like that was where I was um and I was kind of you know excited about the opportunity to be back on the east coast um uh, and really just being around um yeah getting to learn from Molly who Kurt isn't her coach but you know I think that he's played a really pivotal role in in her career and I I think Mm -hmm. she would say that as well um, so just like kind of observing the help that he's given to Molly um, and yeah, just feeling like that was the position where it's like I wanted help and assistance. And I also wanted to feel like um, come in with a little bit of confidence of like I've had experience and hopefully that will be um, listened to and that we can kind of work together to to figure out what the right training stimulus is Um and, you know, I thought I also like that he kind of comes from a middle distance background, which I think can be kind of helpful, again, coming out of rough patches is I feel like sometimes they um, are like really good observers, I would say. It's like they look, <laughs> they're looking more like form and they're looking at how you're moving through paces, which, you know, most most coaches um do that as well but I feel like sometimes the middle distance background they can be more their the race structure kind of plays more to tactics and more to kind of maybe these like smaller details and that's maybe where I felt like I was lacking or where I needed help was like I don't know if that's a big overhaul I just need someone to like help me with the details mm-hmm. um or like the small details and you know not allow myself to get caught up with them but let somebody else kind of get caught up with them and then kind of communicate to back to me what I need to do. What were some of those initial conversations with Kurt like? Because you were injured, mm-hmm. not running at the level that you knew you were capable of, but knew what was possible and where you wanted to go. So where did you start? What were the first steps once you began working together? Yeah, I think a lot of it was him just talking about the confidence that he's had that he has in me as an athlete, just from like seeing me run, seeing me compete. Um, just yeah, I think a lot of it was just you know communicating that it was going to be about getting confidence back. That you know it wasn't going to be a magic workout or a magic build. It was going to be about like okay, what are these components of you as an athlete? that you feel good about? What are the components that I see that I feel good about? And, you know, how can we just build on that? Uh, And it was, you know, we we did talk about details of training and, you know, what a year would look like, what races would look like. But a lot of, I think, this year and early conversations was just about, you know, you have to be able to see yourself on in this competitive arena and you know believe in it and you know what are some of the times in your careers where you felt that way and how can we mimic that or build on that Uh, I think those were a lot of our early conversations and um, again I think he's just been a part of the sport for so long as an athlete himself um, with Molly like through collegiate ranks through professional ranks coaching he coaches at the collegiate level I think he's observed a lot of what it takes to be, uh, you know, a good athlete at a high level and, you know, an athlete at an elite level, an athlete at, you know, a youth or however you would describe um, 
kind of the many stages of, of an athletic career. I think he's observed it all. And, you know, the common denominator is the same as, you know, what are the things that each athlete does that gives, that makes them feel, um, you know, different on, on, on race day. So I think that's, those were a lot of our early conversations. When did it feel like things started to turn around for you where you were healthier again, started to feel like yourself again, workouts maybe started to click and you felt like you were, you were past where you were when you arrived? I'm fortunately or unfortunately, I guess, however you look at it, it felt like it took, you know, a full year. Uh, you know, these last few months have been, have been solid and they've been, and they've felt more like where I need to be than, you know, months, months prior. I think we finished kind of the summer, um, did a lot of road racing, but kind of kept track intensity and kind of did some time trials for 5k and, and some things that would, you know, not necessarily you get the result that you would want from from a competitive experience, but just, you know, despite maybe not getting the on-paper results, really continuing to, like, build on the idea that we'd get there eventually throughout the summer. And I felt like mm-hmm. the last, um, like, August, September have were, you know, getting back around to a place where, you know, I could start another season and build off of that. So yeah, it took, it took quite, quite some time, but, uh, I think it's just, I don't want to say the nature of the sport. Cause I don't think it's the nature of the sport to like feel debilitated. <laughs> I don't think it has to be that way, but, uh, I do think everybody has moments in their experience where they have to, you know, kind of slow down a bit before they can get back mm-hmm. What was it like for you going from a group like Bowerman Track Club, which is a sizable group, everyone is competing at the top level, often against each other in some of the same events to make teams, and going to an environment that's just a little bit smaller and a little bit looser. You mentioned how you do some running with Emily Sisson, who has a different coach. I mean, Molly, who is married to Kurt, is not coached by him, but Mm -hmm. you two will run together, especially now that she's getting back into things. Um, I'm sure there are others that you can do that with as well, which is not the case when you're running for an all Nike team like Bowerman. Has that been a, a good shift for you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's different. They're not comparable experiences, I would say, just because they're so vastly different. But I, I feel like I value them each for different reasons. You know, I miss aspects of, of Bowerman, just they're, you know, having people to run with every day, having, you know, being confronted with the standard of, you know, what you'll have to compete against every day is a really good way to stay focused and intentional about what you're doing. But I've also enjoyed, you know, dictating some of the rhythm of, of, of my training on my own, um, mixing in with, with different people and having, you know, I think I'm already a pretty intense person. So sometimes the match of a really intense environment isn't the best recipe. So I think it's, it's been good for me not to have like such rigidness in, in, in my training and in my experience, just cause I think that's like what I'm attracted to naturally. That's what I want to do, but, um, I don't know that that's the best sustainable, uh, option for me 
Um, so I think it's they they're I both I learn so much from from each, and I think that's kind of the most refreshing part about it is to see success in so many different ways and that lends for me to believe that I can get it done. It's going to look a little different. Who knows how it'll come together, but, you know, feeling as if you can only get, get, get it done one way is, is scary because, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, the chances of you being able to fit into that mold are pretty slim. Um, that's for anyone, not just me. So I think I've, it's been good to see success in different ways. One thing that I'm interested in is if at any point over the last year or two when you were struggling with injury or an inability to run at the level that you were back in 2016 when you made the Olympic team, if you had considered stepping away from the sport and moving on from being a professional athlete? Hmm. I feel like I... I've thought about that, but maybe in more of a, I think having like a lack of success or a different performance, I think it makes me ask that question more of like, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Where maybe if you're having, you know, almost all A races and seeing yourself grow and seeing yourself like kind of like level up to each experience, you maybe ask yourself that once a year to check in to see like, okay, do I still want to do this? Am I still ready to commit? Um, but I feel like when you don't have that, you just you just ask that question more frequently. So I feel like I was asking that question more frequently, but still kind of felt like my response was, you know, I I have to see what it, it what I could be outside of this hole that I'm in <laughs> that feels, you know, very big and <laughs> not um, maybe don't feel close to getting out of it. But I think every time I asked that question, that was still kind of a desire to like know or see myself outside of where I was at this moment. Um, so I asked the question, but I don't know that I ever you know, like fully committed to a discipline outside of what I was doing or what I'm doing right now. So following up on that, how do you see yourself now that you are outside of that hole or at least the deepest part of that hole? <laughs> right. Um, I, I don't know that it's, that I have like a specific vision of, you know, what, what I should be able to do or what I want to be able to do. Uh, I think it's just more, and this is so hard because I think uh, this is something I talk about with Kurt too, where it's like, okay, I can't really tell you that I feel good. It's just, it's just a feeling. I, I couldn't give you a specific workout or a day where I, where I knew that this is, um, that I'm on the right track. It's just, you know, I'll know <laughs> when I know kind of thing, which is not helpful and not, not a helpful guiding piece for like a coach or myself. <laughs> um, but I think, it really isn't like, like I want to win races. I want to, you know, compete in the Olympics again. I, I want to be able to, to, you know, see myself as a major player in this sport, but it really is just like, I want my body to be able to do what I feel like it's capable of doing. Um, that's what excites me most is just, you know, maybe that'll be a day, one race, <laughs> maybe it'll be, a couple a year but it's just if i could get back to you know 
the one race where it's, you know you you feel like yourself or you feel like the work that you're doing accumulates to a version of yourself that you believe in, then I then I'd be pretty pleased. Yeah. So <laughs> let's do a little thought experiment. When you are fully healthy and firing on all cylinders, right. <laughs> what do you think you're capable of ultimately? Hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, again, I don't have like a number or a certain accomplishment placed on that, but I think I am, I feel pretty confident in myself as a competitor when, when I'm, when I'm on. And I, I think I, I haven't, uh, I think there's been times where I've been able to compete better than I did, but I, you know, I kind of, played um I was too analytical about it so it's like this person should go be in front of me like this this should happen and this is where I fit into this versus like letting my fitness and my competitiveness dictate dictate what happens um and there's been times where I have you know been pretty bullish and I didn't have the fitness but I accomplished it or got it done anyway uh, and I think I'm looking for like the happy, <laughs> the, the the medium of that where, you know, you are, maybe you're a little overconfident, um, but you're also prepared and you're not kind of overthinking the situation. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that really answers it. <laughs> no, it, it does. I'm glad that you didn't give me a number or I want to, <laughs> you know, place on the podium at this race or, right. or make this team because I think the way that you just described that is so relatable to anyone who's listening to this, whether they're at your level or they're just getting started in the sport and realizing that it's not always going to be a, a number, whether that's a time or a place, because oftentimes those are largely out of our control. But if we can find that happy place that's, you know, between, you know, um, maybe over self-consciousness or lack of confidence, something like that. And then just being, you know, overconfident when you're not prepared and having that meet somewhere in the middle. I mean, there's, there's no way to put a number on that, but you know it when you're there. And like you said, that can be frustrating for a coach or like an outside observer <laughs> speaking as a coach, like, yeah, it can be frustrating, <laughs> but as an athlete, I, I get it. You know, you know, when you know. Right. And I mean, I think simply, it's just like, I believe that that version means winning things. And it's like, that's what I, <laughs> I want to be able to get to a feeling that I have confidence in can win races and compete and be like, that's what I would like to get back to. I don't know what, you know, if it's a win at a, you know, a turkey trot or like a small road race by me, or if that's a win at like um on a national stage or a global stage where, you know, like that's what you're working to, but I think, you know, I'll feel pretty good going to bed at night if I just, you know, if I um, can consistently get that version. I think that that translates really well. Um, like I have confidence in myself that that version translates to being able to being a really good competitor. To go back to the conversation I mentioned earlier with Francois Dehaene on the Rich Roll podcast I was listening to earlier today, 
another like similarity was talking about this in the context of ultra running. I think it goes hand in hand with what you just described. He was asked about being competitive in these long races and how he views his competitors or, you know, if he's won this race three times, does he feel pressure to win it the fourth time? He's like, I can't control any of that. He's like, I just try to put in the work that I know I need to do to the best of my ability. And he's like, if I can do that on a consistent basis and I show up to these races, then it sort of takes care of itself if I've done everything else right. And you didn't say exactly that, but it reminded me as as you were describing it, pretty similar type of approach. It just starts with, you know, what you're doing right now, setting that foundation, setting the tone, doing all of those things right. And if you can do that and stay healthy and keep your head where it needs to be, um, then you're able to perform at the level that you know you're capable of. Right. Like, I, I think that that's the root of, you know, pretty much every competitor believes in I don't even want to say like the best version of self sounds corny, but it, I, I do think everyone at this level believes that, you know, their, whatever their recipe is, if they can get that right and they get on, on the track or on the road, that is a win. Like they're going to be able to beat anyone that's around them. I think, but it's just, it's getting to that place. And again, getting to that place consistently, it's like, that's the challenge. And like, that's what is also really exciting to see when people can replicate that over and over again. Yeah. I want to take a bit of a pivot here and rewind back to your beginnings. You are an East Coast girl, Jersey girl, grew up in Haddonfield. You're living and training in Providence primarily now, even though you're in Mammoth for an altitude stint now. I'm curious, when did running or just sport in general come into your life? Hmm. I, I mean, I've always been, I think, into just being active. I grew up in a neighborhood. I have an older sister. She's four years older than me. But, you know, besides her, I grew up in a neighborhood of of all boys. So it was just a very competitive environment. You know, it's like they would have a location where we were playing, but, you, you know, you would have to catch up to be there. You know, no one was <laughs> waiting for you or um, taking it easy. So I, I, you know, I think I was always intrigued by that competitive, just like that competitive environment of um, of playing in my neighborhood. And you know, my mom signed me up for for track. Not, neither of my parents run, but they were always very activity driven. So we did a lot of different things growing up, and track was kind of something that I landed on that. Uh, you know, I fell into myself where it's just my parents, you know, kind of teed it up, but I was the one that wanted to keep going back. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, it feels like now sports have kind of dictated everything, you know, where you go to college, where I live now, how I travel. Uh, but I don't, I don't know necessarily how it, how it started, but it kind of felt like I always was pretty competitive growing up. And I think I remember, being in first grade and like my career, I wanted to be a professional player, which meant just like recess all the time. <laughs> so that's a great a career goal. I love it. <laughs> yes, that was, those are my early career goals. So I'm like, Oh, I'm pretty close. Not exactly recess, but similar. <laughs> it's like running around the schoolyard for laps and laps and laps on end. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned how when you got into track, 
something just kept bringing you back. What was that? I think at first, again, I'll mention my sister, but I, I grew up with just around family a lot. Like I stayed with my grandparents, cousins in the summer, spent a lot of time around my sister. I think track and sport was the first time that I made friendship outside of my family, which mm -hmm. I think as a young adult, it's a pretty big deal to realize that there's to just figure out worlds outside of your worlds. Uh, so I think that that was the first time I experienced that, which was pretty exciting for me to know that I had, you know, skills <laughs> to create relationships and communities that um, outside of family, that was, that was exciting and important to me. And then I just, I, I mean, I think a lot of it is just, it's, it's the challenge aspect of it. That was something in running that intrigued me, which it wasn't necessarily that it was, uh, you know, that it came super easy or that it was, it wasn't, um, difficult. It was the difficult part that I think that I enjoyed and just kind of knowing that scalable, if you put in this type, this work, this will happen. Kind of seeing that again, leaning on transformation, just seeing that in your environment and within yourself is a pretty addicting thing, I think early on. Um, so I feel like that's kind of what brought me back to it. So with ambitions of being a professional recess player as a <laughs> young kid and being a professional athlete now in the in between when you got to like middle school and high school was it pretty clear to you at that point that track was going to be your path and something you wanted to stick with as long as it was still interesting and challenging to you I would say I was really intense about like Junior Olympics, again, that was how I was traveling, how I was seeing places was running. So it was always more, more, more like I wanted to see this place do this thing. I think that through middle school and then like through early high school, I think that stuck around junior year. I think when you just start looking at colleges, it just wasn't clear to me how this experience continued. I didn't really know about necessarily about running in college. I didn't necessarily know about the professional ranks. Um, but I started running for a club team my junior year of high school that had a coach that I feel like was a really big visionary for me and kind of helped me see beyond where where I was and what and and then I feel like I kind of reintensified and was like, okay, there is an opportunity to continue to do this. So I felt like I held pretty strong, but maybe my like a little bit in high school, it just, you know, it didn't make sense. Nobody in my circle was talking about going to like Foot Locker or, you you know, world championships or and mm -hmm. we weren't really watching track at a, on a scalable level where I felt like what I was doing was like more important than just like the dual meet that we had that week or the cross country meet. Um, so... I feel like I fell out of it a little bit, but then kind of was um, had a lot of help from high school coaches to kind of see where it could take you. Yeah. Did you have any heroes or idols in the sport when you were in high school? Uh, I mean, this is I didn't really 
this will be taboo now, but I was a really big Marion Jones fan. Like that was <laughs> growing up. That was somebody that I really look up to. Like mm-hmm. I would do my hair like hers. I was, I went to Penn Relays every year with my dad. Um, and like my best friend and her dad, we would go see her compete. And, you know, I was her for Halloween one year. Like, I think that was somebody, she's like a very versatile athlete. Um, so like, yeah, that was someone that I looked up to. I didn't really, I looked a lot outside of sport. Like my family, we watched a lot of, you know, we watched Venus and Serena because I feel like every uh, black household, you know, we was pretty fixated with, with that mm-hmm. story and, um, and their reign in tennis. So I think I got a lot of inspiration from that. Um, my mom is like performing arts. She went to a performing arts high school. So she was really into theater and dance. Um, so I felt like I, there's a music company or there's a dance company called Alvin Ailey that I feel like I got a lot of inspiration from, um, like dance, I feel like, and running can be relatable sometimes just seeing good, powerful movement can be inspiring. So I don't know. I I think I never was really, I mean, now it's like, I can look at the Dinas and, and um Joni and Shalane and Karen see these people and be like oh how did I miss that but at the time I I wasn't really fixated on or I I didn't really see them much in my in my experience yeah I I think that's super interesting because I feel like it goes one of two ways for kids that age they're either really into it and they kind of know all of the players involved and they find maybe one or two that they aspire to be like or they they're just into other things or don't care or just aren't paying that close attention maybe have like you know one or two role models perhaps in the sport like marion jones was a very recognizable figure at that time so it'd be you know easy to you know want to want to be like her and, and emulate her but not follow the sport at all and to set up my my next question now for you as a professional athlete, especially as a black woman in distance running, do you ever look at yourself and the role that you have for others who are in middle school, high school, college, and perhaps see some of themselves in you? Is that something you give much thought to as you kind of go through your day to day? I don't feel like I think about it um, that much in terms of like people younger than me, you know, I've been to races or even just running on a trail and like have had someone come up to me and just be like, wow, (laughs) um, you, you, you encouraged me or inspired me today. So I, you know, I feel like that real time experience reminds you, but yeah, I don't know that I think about it in, in that way too, too often. Um, do you ever hear from people? Definitely. Yeah. I, again, I think it's, it's supposed to be them inspiring you, but I do feel like whenever it is just like a reminder of, of what you're doing, sometimes, um, just making it less insular, making it a little bit more big picture of there are people that are, you know, connecting or finding connections to this thing that you're doing. Um, and, and that's, and that's special and important. So I, I do, yeah, no, I definitely, I try to encourage people and, you know, I'm hopeful that there are people that want or that can see how valuable, you know, running can be and enriching in their lives because I I genuinely feel that way. So, um, but 
yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't hear from, you know, like tons of people, but I think the one-offs are, are always really special. Yeah, I was just curious, especially in this day of social media, I mean, which, you know, you didn't really have when, you know, you were of, you know, high school age or in your teenage years, but now it's just so ubiquitous and, you know, you can share different aspects of, of your mm-hmm. journey if you ever hear from like, you know, high school kids or college kids who are like, you know, I'm from, you know, New Jersey, or maybe we're in the same track club or something mm-hmm. like that. Or, you know, like I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a black girl who wants to run cross country, but I don't see anyone else like me on, on the team. Like, how did you do it like that? You know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely, I feel like there's always this, this is going to sound wrong, but I feel like, you know, going to, tr- I still will go to cross country meets if I'm back home or go to um, visit my, my high school coach and see, and there's always, there's always one girl who you're just like rooting for. And, you know, it's, I don't know that we're having these conversations of like, oh, I feel like you're, I'm the only one, you're the only one, mm-hmm. but it is just like a recognition of just like, I you know, I don't know your experience in its entirety, but I think I could probably pick out a few similarities. We could probably laugh over a couple um, of the of the same hiccups, or um, you know, share. I there are there is a acknowledgement of our experiences are different, but they're probably also very similar. Um, so I, I feel like that's kind of more what it is where it's just like, I'm genuinely am rooting for, I'm genuinely rooting for you. Like definitely here, um, kind of an unspoken community. We don't really, you know, we don't have an email address or a place to meet, but I think that it's, it goes without saying that if, um, that we are there, we're there for each other and, and supportive of each other's experience. Yeah. In the time that we have left for this conversation, I'm curious about how your relationship to running has evolved since you got into track and field as a young kid to where you are as a professional athlete now. And it's your job, uh, which Mm -hmm. I think, you know, is going to change your relationship to this thing that you've been doing for a long time. But I'd love to hear you just describe what that journey has been like. Hmm. Yeah, I I think I, I feel really fortunate that I started early on. It felt like it was driven a lot by me. I didn't I had I have very supportive parents to this day. I had supportive parents when I was a youth athlete, but you know, the bus always felt driven by my ambitions and my intentions, and I think that's something that's something that's similar that's carried over. And I think having that early exposure of really being the one dictating the goals and, uh, you know, where I wanted to go to college, what I wanted, distances I wanted to compete in, coaches, having that come from me has been really special because it's meant that I've had to learn how to just like articulate myself as a person and an athlete through my whole experience. And that's, um, so I'm grateful for, for that and how it's been different uh, I, you know, early on, I wasn't thinking I was just, I was just doing. And I think those are some of my best and favorite competitive memories are, are just really when it's just kind of driven by, there's no frills to it. There's no, 
you know, you don't care about what comes after, what the expectations are, what the um, what it means financially or where it means for where you live. It, it was all just really about kind of that innate, personal, competitive, you know, what me just wanting to, you know, really be myself out there. And I think that kind of gets muddied or for me personally, not for everyone, but that's gotten muddied along the way by, you know, trying to maintain friendships and trying to do what you feel like is right, uh, sometimes doesn't always align with what's right competitively for you. Uh, so I think all those kind of things play into it a little bit more where you just, you just have politics of, of your own life and, and sport. Those, those kind of things get muddied. And it's really just trying to carve your way back to what, what you were competitively without all the, the all the extras. Um, so I think that's kind of where how it's evolved to now is it's just mostly kind of about trying to get back to the root of things and constantly reminding yourself, okay, why am I doing this? What do I want to get out of this? Having to really, I think, ask that question more where early on you didn't have to ask. It was, you know, it's, it's a given. <laughs> so, yeah. My last question, which is another thought experiment, but builds off of that. But as you enter this next phase of your career and maybe think beyond it, what does your relationship with running look like moving forward? Or what do you hope it looks like moving forward? I hope that it's always said that said it before, but I, but I hope it's always a transformative, you know, I, I want it to be something that I can, I think I can say for every part of my life up to this point, running has mirrored some type of change within myself that I'm, excited about that I can like, I see a, a different version of myself every year, every couple of years. And that's the best part about the job now is, you know, I do feel like I'm becoming different versions of myself, which is exciting. And I get really excited about seeing that in other people and for that to be a possibility within myself that I don't ever feel, you know, too fixated on 2016 version of myself that, you know, I'm more excited about 2023 version. I want that to always kind of be something that is uh, with that running helps me do and allows me to do. I think. I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. I've enjoyed the past hour. So I'm glad we made this happen. And Mariel Hall, I thank you so much for joining me on the morning shakeout podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. All right, that's it for this episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in. Also, a big thank you to the Monterey Bay Half Marathon and Gooder for help making it possible. The Monterey Bay Half Marathon is back. Registration is now open for this fast, scenic course along the beautiful Monterey Bay coastline. If you're looking for a fall race with a high potential for a PR, this is it. Sign up to run this coast on November 13th at MontereyBayHalfMarathon.org and use the code MARIO, that's M-A-R-I-O, all caps, at checkout to save $10 on your registration for the Half Marathon or the Ocean View Challenge. 
Gooder sunglasses are my favorite shades to run in, drive, walk the dog, and more. They don't bounce, they won't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. Best of all, they are super affordable, with most pairs coming in at just $25 to $35 bucks a piece. So if you'd like to support me in the podcast, treat yourself to a few pairs of Gooders and head over to Gooder.com Mario and use the code Mario15 to get free shipping on your entire order. Before we wrap up, I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my man, John Summerford. He has produced every episode of the podcast and is the reason this show sounds as good as it does week in and week out. Also, thank you to Chris Douglas for being my right-hand man and handling sponsorship sales, and Jeffrey Stern for managing the AM Shakeout social media accounts. I don't have a big team here at the Morning Shakeout, but these three guys have been crucial in helping keep things running smoothly here. Last thing, if you're digging the podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter, also called The Morning Shakeout, at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe, and in it, you'll get a collection of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to lately that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's all I've got for this one. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs>